Welcome to the UP Tech Talk podcast, special series on the future of education. Talking about likely scenarios for learning in both the near and distant future. Our guests for this series include both UP faculty and guest academics and futurists from across the United States. Look out for new episodes in this series on the first Friday of every month during the fall semester. We talk with our guests about a lot of fascinating topics that are sure to spark your imagination. We invite you to continue the conversation on social media by following us on Twitter at UP Tech Talk. And make sure to join us at techtalk.up.edu or by searching for UP Tech Talk in iTunes for our regularly scheduled UP Tech Talk episodes, where we explore the use of technology in the classroom one conversation at a time. Welcome to another special episode of the UP Tech Talk podcast. This is episode five in our special series on the future of higher education. This is Ben Kahn. Today I'm joined by Maria Erb. Hello, Maria. Hey, Ben. And today we're happy to welcome into the studio, live in person with us, Dr. Sam Holloway from our Pamplin School of Business here at the university. Sam. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming. Uh, so we wanted to get your perspective sort of on the future of higher education and how your kind of understanding of market forces and the business world might speak to that. Uh, Maria, did you want to lead off our questions? I think you just asked the first one, Ben. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. There, there's, a, there's a guy at Harvard named Clay Christensen that mm -hmm. I quote a lot, um, and he's written a, a book. His theory is about disruption, so how um, longstanding uh, industry leaders uh, become susceptible to losing their business. And he's actually written a book about disrupting higher education. Um, he's a little bit uh, more focused in his view of what higher education is. He focuses on high-end MBA programs like at Harvard where he works. But his thing is he sees corporate universities taking the role of an, uh, an MBA program like Harvard. And that's mostly because, in, in his words, the Harvard MBA is really focused on finance and the salaries that are request, required, requested by students uh, really only allow them to populate one industry, which is financial services, you know, think hedge funds and things like that. And so he's worried that because they're so focused on um, sort of placing their graduates in prestigious jobs with high wages that they're um, not serving businesses well. They're serving themselves and their students well, but they're not aligned with what businesses want which I think is actually the, the real core problem. You know, it's, it's pervasive in our industry uh, to kind of keep doing the same thing because it works and it's comfortable, but the business landscape is changing so rapidly. And, you know, I'll speak mostly from a business school perspective today that uh, I think the, this, the sort of a middle to upper tier schools, not the elite schools, but, you know, schools like the University of Portland that are regionally very good, but, you know, not on the same stage as Harvard or Wharton, uh, we have to think a lot more uh, strategically about our engagement with businesses if we're going to survive. And, and we've been doing a number of things at the Pamplin School of Business for that. What have you been doing? Well, the first thing we do, and again, as, as easy as it sounds, it's not something a lot of universities do, is most universities start with, well, what are we good at, and then who can we sell it to? Uh, our approach, and we've done this in our MSOTM major, um, certainly in our online crappier business courses, our approach is to go ask industry what it wants see if it's a fit for us. If it's not, we won't do it. Um, part of strategy is deciding what not to do. But if it is a fit and we have the people and the curriculum in place and professors that are excited about it, then we will do it. You know, and that's really how our, our undergraduate OTM major and now our MSOTM major came to life. It's one of the best programs in the region. Uh, it's very different than other programs. It's focused around what industry wants. And really, you know, 
professors uh, Mitchell, Ohm, and, and, and their team, um, what they started, the rest of us listened. We saw it worked. We saw that engaging with industry and asking them what they want, even though it takes longer and it's slower, that's where we're going to need to be if we're going to stay relevant. So you do see this idea of the corporate university coming to pass? I do. Uh, and if not their own internal university, I think uh, our position is let's form a strategic partnership with you so that we can not only design courses for your people, but train our students in ways that makes you want to hire them. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a 93% placement rate of our undergrads in the School of Business right now. We're very proud of it, and we work really hard at understanding what businesses want across all areas of the curriculum and, you know, preparing our majors to be successful. And, you know, I think the other thing that's nobody's really talking about is most of the quote-unquote managers are, you know, in the, let's say in, in their 50s or above the senior managers, and they're hiring millennials, and they don't really know necessarily how to manage them because millennials have different wants and needs uh, in terms of the, the thing that I see the most is they want to be part they want to create the knowledge too. They want to be part of the process. And we're actually doing that in the Pamplin School of Business in terms of how we teach, um, you know, getting the students to be uh, part of the process of creating the knowledge so that when they do get into businesses, they can have an impact right away. They aren't going to necessarily need to keep their head down for two or three years. We tell them, go to that meeting, go to the lunch with the, you know, with your boss or with your boss's boss, listen, and when the time is right, Go ahead and kind of insert your ideas. Don't be afraid. And I think that kind of mindset is going to be uh, helpful for our students. Well, do you see business changing on on any kind of large scale? Oh, sure. I don't know if we have enough time to to talk (laughs) about that. But I think uh, the words we we use, the business model. And so business models are are changing. Uh, An easy example I think a lot of the listeners will understand is the sharing economy. Right, so if you take Airbnb, um, you know, basically you have a bunch of underutilized assets in people's homes, extra rooms. You have a big demand for um, housing or temporary housing. Uh, you used to only have one option, hotels of varying levels, and now you can actually have lots of options. Um, I think the same thing happens in Uber. You've got underutilized assets, extra space in cars, and people that need to go somewhere, and people that are already going there um, or are willing to take you there in their private cars. So we're, we're adapting that in our educational approach. Um, in our online craft beer business program, uh, we realize that the, the beer industry, it's so regulated and so dynamic that there's no way a few professors can stay on top of everything. So we've designed a platform for CEOs and breweries all over the world to share knowledge about how they're adapting to change and our students share right along with them. You know, our students read blog posts and forum posts from CEOs of multi-million dollar companies that are struggling with the same thing we're talking about in class, and they get to look at it in real time. So it's, it's this idea of, as a university, we don't sort of need to be this monastic enclave of knowledge that only dispenses it. We can become learning organizations too. And we do that with our knowledge sharing platform so that we can connect our students to new and innovative ideas because business moves faster than universities it's always been that way (laughs) why won't we try to change to to match the pace well why haven't we and i mean not just university of portland but why haven't we because that's always been the case right businesses always move faster than the universities yeah i i think there's lots of reasons um you know first of all our our goal as a university isn't necessarily uh 
100% aligned with the goals of a business. The goals of a business can be to return value to their shareholders, can be to increase profits, those sorts of things. You know, our goal at, at most universities is we, we do need some level of profitability. We do need to be able to keep the doors open, but we take a little bit of a slower, more holistic approach. And so we're trying to prepare people for the rest of their life, maybe not prepare people for the next quarter, you know, like some businesses do. So we, we, we should use that to our advantage, and I think we do. You know, we prepare students for a long uh, a life of not just uh, individual success, but happiness, uh, community involvement, and those things to make them good citizens, and then they can become good corporate citizens. But at the same time, sometimes we just rest on those laurels. And I think there's opportunities for us to get a little bit quicker, to be a little bit more innovative and agile, and to understand what's out there so we can do a better job getting people ready to have successful lives. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if um, there's sort of like a risk aversion component that um, is present in higher ed that doesn't necessarily have to be present in business because if you start a really innovative new business and it fails, what do you do? Yeah. You start I, another business, right? <laughs> I think risk aversion is a big part of it, um, especially for schools that are doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we're at a time of you know somewhat unprecedented success in terms of undergraduate applications, admissions, the quality of students, the quality of graduates. And, you know, there's a natural tendency not to want to upset things. Um, But, you know, going back to Christensen, uh, if you completely ignore um, changes and trends, you do set yourself up to be disrupted. And so it's a balancing act, you know. Maybe 80% of what we do should be focused on what's working, but 20% of what we do should be focused on how we can get better. So you don't see... I don't know, major conflicts, I guess, with, with these partnerships between private industry and the university? No, I, I think it's it's great. You know, the way that we typically do partnerships in the School of Business is uh, we find companies out there that ha- could hire any one of our students, you know, so maybe a larger company like um, Cambia Health or Precision Cast Parts, you know, that could hire an accounting major, a marketing major, you know, a finance major. And, you know, they're always looking for new and better um, employees. And so by partnering with them, it's not just a financial donation on that part, although that's part of it. Um, we give them preferential access to our students through speed networking, through coming into class and speaking, through, you know, informal and formal advertisements to our students about what great companies are. And so it's, it, it's a, a positive for them, too. It's not just a, a nice thing to do. It actually helps them with their strategy. The best thing that I can give as an example was, you know, 10, 10 or 15 years ago, as a school of business, we really struggled to get our students uh, in front of Nike, you know, maybe the largest and somewhat sexiest local employer uh, for a lot of our students. And now Nike hires more school of business undergrads than any other company in the region. So I, I believe these efforts are working, but it, it's taken some some time and, and some leadership in our school to take these risks and set up these programs. And so... You know, our dean and, and uh, the Gwen Clobus and, and her team that set up our Pamplin Professional Preparation Program, it's really working. We, we wouldn't be at 93% or Nike's preferred higher uh, location without the, these efforts. How many people does Nike hire each year? Oh, uh, Gwen would have the best statistic. Um, it's, it's in the, I think it's over 10 mm-hmm. uh, the last couple years. Um, when I go out there and do alumni lunches, uh, it's usually 50 or more people that show up that are both undergrad and MBA alums that are currently working at Nike. So, you know, it's it's working. Um, 
So I don't know if we wanted to transition a bit. We've been talking kind of about how um, higher ed is kind of morphing to maybe meet the needs of the labor force. Um, but if we look far into the future and the labor force looks drastically different due to mm-hmm. things like automation and AI, uh, what do you think the role of higher education could or should be in a society where maybe not everyone is able to work or not everyone has to work? You know, I think one opportunity, you know, most of higher education right now um, is focused on early in people's careers or even maybe before those careers start. And and it's great. You know, the, my college years, uh, I, I grew not just my knowledge base. I grew as a human being and, and as a person and made friendships. And, you know, that's, that's something that is always going to be sacred. But I think the opportunity is to be a little bit more of a professional development piece of people's careers and, and more... Uh, be active in their learning a lot longer in their life. Um, you know, we're, we're doing stuff right now in the School of Business with Daimler Trucks North America, um, where uh, another professor, Mark Meckler, and I, we, we went to lunch with them uh, nine times over a one-year span, and people could come and go as they pleased, and we would have brown bag conversations about innovation and how uh, innovation and disruption might affect a trucking company. We're not trucking company experts, but we do study it in other industries. And so that kind of a relationship really worked out well. It's uh, easy for people to come have lunch in, in, a, in a room. We're not asking them to go to a whole class. And over the course of uh, doing this nine different times, I think we added three graduate students to our programs, and they're ready to sign up for another year. So those kinds of outreach, are they're fun for us, for faculty. Um, it's, it gets us closer to things we're interested in. You know, we study companies for a living, and the more access you can get, the better. So there's a lot of positives to, to thinking of ourselves a little bit more as a professional development resource. I think, you know, the ultimate goal for us, at least in the Portland region, is if you're a company and you need help, maybe instead of calling McKinsey or one of the big consulting firms, maybe you could call your local university. Mm-hmm. You could get an internship uh, from a really motivated MBA student or undergrad student, or maybe you could work directly with a professor. Those kinds of relationships, I think, can be impactful, and I think that's where we need to head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, but uh, uh, to Ben's question, I, you know, when you look down the road, say even 20 years, it's hard to do, right? But, I mean, to imagine a world where now we've got so many highly trained and uh, really talented people, but where are they going to work, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think um, the days of, of the, certainly the days of staying at one company for a long time are pretty much over. Um, I also think Portland's economy is a really nice um, case study of small businesses. You know, the Portland economy right now, I think, has its lowest unemployment in a long time, but we don't have a lot of large employers. You know, we have one, two Fortune 500 companies, Precision Cast Parts and Nike. Um, We have some other big employers like uh, OHSU and some other big brands, you know, Columbia Sportswear. but, But, you know, we're not like Minneapolis, Minnesota, where a bunch of corporate headquarters are. We're not even like Seattle that has a bunch more large companies. But we're still placing our students in a lot of innovative small companies. And so I think the idea of identifying small business as a place to put students is going to be something we can leverage. You know, universities, uh, business schools, I should correct myself. I always (laughs) generalize, but I shouldn't. Business schools that really do well, first they look close to home and find out what's going on around here and how can we help. Uh, Santa Clara, Stanford, they really focus on tech companies because they're near Silicon Valley. You know, if you look at the five, we did this uh, study 
seven years ago at the School of Business, we looked at the what the Portland city government identified as the five major industrial areas from athletic apparel and footwear, advanced manufacturing, all of the uh, clean technology, and we said, what of those can we do? You know, if those are identified already as the most important industries to Portland's economy, shouldn't we prepare our students to fulfill jobs there? And we've been working on that over the last few years, and we've identified some niches, um, and now we're preparing students to be successful. So I think the small business angle, as more things get automated in big companies, it's going to get a little more entrepreneurial. The students need to learn not just to be, uh, not just to do what they're told, but to create new ideas. And I think that's going to be important as the economy changes. Yeah, I think like learning how to innovate could be a really important piece. And I know you obviously work a lot with the craft beer industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think what you're suggesting is that there's the potential for other industries to like kind of spring up as kind of craft. Yeah, like really yeah, the, personalized. The craft um, economy, or whatever you want to yeah. call it, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't just—it's not just beverage manufacturing. Uh, you know, there's there's it's architecture, mm-hmm. right? It's it's an economy based on ideas mm-hmm. and innovation. You know, maybe instead of economies of scale and manufacturing, right? And so we don't know a lot about those. It's fun to be a professor in a city like Portland, where a lot of new things are coming in, and and as we learn more. I think we can do a good job training our students to help those kinds of companies. Yeah. Sam, thanks for joining us and and talking about some of these upcoming uh, issues and ideas with us. Uh, It's always great to have you come in, and you're welcome to come back anytime and and talk with us. I'd love to. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for joining us for this special episode on the UP Tech Talk special series on the future of education. Heard something that made you think? Continue the conversation on social media by following us on Twitter at UP Tech Talk. And make sure to join us at techtalk.up.edu or by searching for UP Tech Talk in iTunes for our regularly scheduled UP Tech Talk episodes where we explore the use of technology in the classroom one conversation at a time. We'll be right back.